Um, okay, so I learned that I was going to teach yesterday. So if this is no good and this is your first time, come back again and see Corey and see what it looks like when somebody is actually prepped for a sermon. Okay, so don't hold it against me. Let me pray for us tonight, and then we're going to jump into the scriptures. Let's pray. Father, I am uh, I'm so grateful to be here. I'm grateful for your son and the news of his death and resurrection for 2,000 years has gone across oceans and um, crossing through continents and into every uh, small and large place on earth. And your news of your son's uh, gospel, good news, has changed lives. It's the power of God for salvation. And so, Lord, even without a lot of prep, I, I have expectations, Lord, that your spirit tonight would meet us. Lord, I know there are needs. Uh, there is spiritual thirst in the room. There are wounds in the room. There is confusion in the room. There's hurt in the room. Uh, disappointment, maybe even like disappointment in you in the room. And we need a good word. We need good news tonight. So, Lord, I pray we would encounter, uh, Lord, not just like lofty speech tonight, but the truth of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, w would you leave us changed tonight? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, speaking of parenting, I, I look at, so we have uh, Mark and Carter Anderson over here. They work, work at the church, and uh, Mark works with me in youth. Yeah, you can, like, give him a little golf clap or snaps. Um, and Felicity, look at that beautiful baby right there. Yeah. yeah. Felicity is like our youth ministry mascot. So, like, I'm nervous in front of Felicity right now. Um, but uh, here's, a, here's a parenting hack, and maybe they've already figured it out, or maybe, maybe Mark and Kari have already figured this out. But, like, when you take something from a baby, they don't like it. You guys know what I'm talking about? You guys ever nannied or babysat? You take something from Felicity, and she's probably, she's cute, and she's the most mild-mannered baby I've ever been around. But my guess is if I ripped out her pacifier and whatever she's holding right now, she'd probably cry. In fact, I mean, we could do that right now and see <laughs> just how good a baby she is. Um, and I remember it was like my, uh, my daughter, Katie, would grab, like, the dog toy and stick it in her mouth. You know, and and it was like I'd run across the room and I was all afraid of germs. I didn't know if she was going to die or whatever. And I'd grab it and I'd say, no, 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 no. And she would just look at me like, you are the most horrible. Like, I thought you loved me. What do you, you know, and I'm like, sorry, this is gross. That dog licks its privates. <laughs> She's like looking at me like, I don't know what that means, but it's disgusting. Uh, and then my wife would always be like, Brian, you're doing it wrong. Here, you have to give her something that's better than the dog toy. And so this is like the parenting hack that should be obvious to all of you. But guys, when you have a baby, use it. You take something away from a baby and you give them something better. This is kind of like the starting point for, for what we're going to talk about tonight. This is a series on following Jesus. And I don't know if you're familiar with Luke 14, but 
this is a passage that uh, is not very, this is like a hard teaching. This is not very popular. In fact, as you're sharing the gospel, a lot of people would just say, don't even go there. Because this, this is not a feel-good message. Let me read Luke 14 for us. I don't know if we have that up. Luke 14, um, starting in verse 26. Jesus says this, if anyone comes to me, this is hard to read, and not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even hate their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Come to Jesus. Like, who wouldn't come? Who wouldn't respond to that message, right? And whoever does not carry their cross, this is like, this is pre-Jesus going to the cross. What did it mean in Rome at this time to carry a cross? It means you believed in a cause so much that you would go to death for that cause. That's what it meant to carry your cross. So not only do I have to, what it says is, hate father and mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and even my own life, but you have to be willing to die. And if you don't, you cannot be my disciple. And then he says, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? At the beginning of the journey with Jesus, there is this thing that is not popular that Jesus says he has a large crowd, and I have to believe the disciples are like, hit him with the good news. Like, let's bring all of these people into discipleship. Jesus, they're here, they're ready to hear it, and he says this to the large crowd. If you want to follow me, you have to count the cost. Now, I do have to do some explanation. What in the world is he talking about hating father and mother? I thought Jesus was all about love. This is like a greatly misunderstood passage, okay? When, when God says, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, there's two brothers in the Old Testament and God decides to take his blessing and his promises and set it on Jacob. And that act of choosing one over the other is what he calls as hatred. It's like neglect. It's like choosing to put it somewhere else. And what Jesus is saying is if you want to take your love and devotion and spread it out amongst your wife and your child and your father and your mother, and I am just another thing that you love, that doesn't work with me. My friend wrote down like a priority list, and I saw it was like, love my wife, teach my kids, follow Jesus, do a good job at work, save for the future, and it was like this great list. They were all great things, and I said, why is Jesus number three? And he said, I'm just being honest. Like, I don't know. I feel like if I love Jesus more than my kids, that's just wrong. And here's, here's what I told him. Here's what I'd tell you in this passage. When you make Jesus the central thing that you place your love and devotion to, everyone around you gets a greater love from you. I, I can tell you from 22 years of marriage, 21 years of marriage, from 21 years of marriage, my wife would say, when I am fully devoted to Christ, 
I love her way better. I am a way better father. Do you understand what I'm saying? So this hatred is just saying like, Jesus is not on the priority list. He is the priority. And when he is my priority, my neighbor, my enemy, my wife, my kids, the people that work for me are going to get a better Brian. And he says, count the cost. You have to put me first. And he says, you have to be willing to die for this. Now today, as readers today, my guess is unless somebody's going overseas into some unreached place that's hostile to the gospel, none of you are probably going to have to give up your actual life to follow Jesus. This audience, they did. The persecution that happened right after Jesus is people were forced to choose. Do I follow Jesus and die? Many of them on the cross. Or do I pass? Example of this, uh, real life example is in Matthew 19. Do we have that? If, if you guys know the, the story of the rich young ruler. So Jesus says, you have to give up everything in order to follow me. And then he meets this young, I'm, I'm guessing, I know, I know he's wealthy. My guess is he has a lot of status in the community. Like this is a guy that his like business savvy wealth place in community is like skyrocketing. Like everybody looks at this guy and goes, he's amazing. And he asks Jesus, hey, good teacher, um, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know what the law says? It says, don't murder. And he goes through all these laws and he goes, okay, good. I've done all of that. And then Jesus goes back to what I just told you in Luke 14 and he says, okay, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and then come follow me. Like, everything is going good in this life, and he's like, he's got all of these things. If he's, if he's Felicity, he's got the pacifier, he's got the, like, heathen ring, he's got all of his things, and Jesus says, you need to drop all of it, give that money to the poor, and then you can come be with me and my disciples. And it says that Jesus was sad because the man had a lot of wealth and walked away. In that moment, this guy had to count the cost. This is what Jesus told us to do. Is Jesus worth me giving up my entire life? This is not a popular message to get you to follow Jesus. But this came from Jesus' mouth. He worth dying on a cross for? Is he worth giving up your possessions? And I think of the times in parenting where I was trying to explain, like, I take the dog toy and I give her the teething ring and she wants no part of it. Like, she just has her mind set on, I want the, the dog toy. And I'm trying to, like, communicate to a one-and-a-half-year-old. No, teething ring is cold for your gums. It's going to feel good. You're going to like it. And she, all she can see is this slobbery, nasty dog toy. And is like, 
I want that. And I think that frustration that I have or that I had in one-year-old Katie trying to explain, no, this really is better, is what we find throughout the Gospels with Jesus. What I just told you is a hard teaching, right? Would everybody agree that's a hard teaching? You got to be willing to die for this stuff. You got to be willing to give up what you've been doing. That's a hard teaching. And the frustration I think that Jesus had to have felt is he knows that the thing that he is offering us is infinitely better than anything you have going on. The rich young ruler has all of this status in the community. He has money. He has like all, everything in his life is going good. And there is something inside of Jesus that he's experiencing at that moment that makes him so right. Do you know what I mean by that? Like a soul-quenching satisfaction that makes him so complete as a human being. And he is experiencing it and saying, all of that money, all of that status, the stuff that you're working so hard for isn't going to give you this. You're never going to have your soul quenched. The thirst that you feel today, the thirst that your soul feels that we're trying to quench that thirst through all sorts of stuff, from relationships, people, belonging, career, status, whatever it might be. Sex, maybe some of you, drugs. Whatever that is, Jesus is saying, this thing inside of me, I'm telling you, give up that that you might receive this. And as hard as it was to communicate to my daughter this simple thing, Jesus is having that trouble. And so he tells us stories. This is like what I would do with my kids. Tell them stories to try and help them to understand bigger picture stuff. And he tells this story in Matthew 13. Matthew 13, 44 is probably very familiar to a lot of you. He says, the kingdom of heaven, this thing that I'm trying to get you to see the value of this, is like, and I wonder if he had to think of this or if it's just like this comes off the top of his head. The kingdom of heaven is like, it's like this. It's like a treasure that was hidden in a field. And there was a man, and he was walking in that field, and when he found, he uncovered this treasure uh, he hid it again. And then in his, what does it say? In his joy, he went and sold all that he had. And he bought the field. Now, is that a no-brainer for you? Like you find riches and you go sell everything so that you can get that riches. Is that like, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? Now, like, lay that over Jesus' hard teaching. That's an easy teaching. Yes, if I found a million dollars in a field in some sort of chest, I would go home and sell the house. I would go home and sell everything in joy and excitement and anticipation because there's a treasure. That's a no-brainer. Jesus is trying to tell us that story to say the, the, the teaching that I just told you that is hard that you have to give up your life to come follow me, I'm telling you it's like this story. It's a no-brainer 
what I have to offer you, what Jesus has to offer us, is infinitely better. And Jesus feels it and is trying to communicate to us. He's asking us to give up what we've been pursuing to pursue him. What do we have to give up? What are we being called to give up to follow Jesus? And I would question, have we? Have we believed the gospel that's just like, you don't have to give up anything. Just believe this. Just believe it. You don't have to give up anything. I'm just telling you, if that's the version that you've bought into, that's not Jesus' words. Okay? That's not what he said. Autonomy. We got to give up autonomy. Autonomy is... I can do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it. I'm in charge of my own destiny. We got to give that up. My financial autonomy, I'll spend my money however I want to spend my money. My sexual autonomy, as long as it feels good and it doesn't hurt anyone, I'll do whatever I want to do and whatever I feel like doing. Revenge. You got to give up revenge. People hurt you. You don't like people. And you want to turn the cold shoulder or you want to like take out wrath. You want to gossip about that person. Jesus says, you got to give that up. Vengeance is mine. You repay with love. Love your enemy. You got to give up gossip. You got to give up selfish ambition. like an ambition that you're going to rise to the top. James says that's demonic. Selfishness. Some of you are going to be asked to give up your reputation. Following, following Jesus makes you look like a fool. Are you willing to give up that reputation? Are you willing to look like a fool? Some people won't want to be your friend anymore. Some of you have experienced that. Some of you have experienced losing a job, losing friends. Family thinking you're crazy. Jesus is saying, whatever you lose on my behalf is worth it. Because I have something infinitely better to give you. Now, what is he offering? What is the thing that he's saying, if you give up this, I will give you this? What is the thing that he is offering? Jesus is offering you him. Now, in America, we might think like treasure. Is Jesus offering me money? Is he offering me pleasure? Is he offering me status? Is he offering me something good? Like something really good that I love. Something better. He's better than that. It, do you have the um, Harley, like the five L's, starting with living with him? This is something that I did with kids ministry, but I think it's going to work tonight. And y'all just big kids. Uh, okay. 
he's offering something called the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, where God rules, okay? And in the kingdom of God, we get to live with God. In the beginning of the Bible, God is with man. It says he is dwelling with man. Man and God together. In the end of the Bible, God again is dwelling. In fact, he makes this announcement that he made everything new. God has come down. He's brought his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. He comes down and he reigns and he says this, I make all things new. And then he says, the dwelling place of God is with man. Like the best thing you could ever hear the best thing your soul, the best news your soul could ever receive, the best news your ears could ever receive is God saying, it's finished. What's finished? We're together. You and I forever are going to live together. I will be your God and you will be my people and I will make my tabernacle. I will make my dwelling with you. He's offering that. But it's, it's better living with him, but also living with him as Lord. I don't know if you see the art on the outside of the commons, but it has all these different pictures. And then there's a picture of a lamb, which represents the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross to bring us to God. But over the lamb is a crown. You see, if he just gives us forgiveness of sins, we have no one to guide us. We have no one to rule over the kingdom and make it right. And so we not only get God living with us, but we get him as our Lord. A king that will rule with righteousness and justice, fairness compassion, love, generosity. And then this, this Lord is going to lead us. Psalm 32 says, he will be a guide to us with his eyes on us and his ears towards our prayer. He will guide us and instruct us in the way that we should go. He's not a distant Lord. He's not a distant king that is on a throne and be like, yeah, he's in the castle. The kingdom's running well. But he is a God that's close, and he is a ruler that is actually guiding us and leading us. This is the picture of the kingdom of God. And he leads us by love. Out of an overflowing of God's love is how he leads us. Now, I lead my family out of love, but sometimes I lead my family out of frustration. Sometimes I lead my family out of fear. Sometimes I lead my family out of anger. Jesus, in every move that he makes for our lives, is motivated by our well-being, our fruitfulness. He is most glorified when you are bearing beautiful fruit as a human being. Like when you're the most beautiful version of human, he is most satisfied and he is most glorified. And not only is he leading us in his love, but he's leading us to love. 
you go like, well, what, what would the kingdom of God be like as we live it out amongst each other? We have this great Lord. He is with us. God is dwelling with us. He's leading us and instructing us in the way that you go. Like a good shepherd, he's loving us. But what does it actually live, look like lived out? It's a whole kingdom of people that put other people's needs in front of their own. A whole kingdom that is willing to sacrifice their own desires to serve you, to love you, to bless you. There is a sacrificial love to the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus is offering us. And to give like description in the scriptures, we're going to land in John 15. And if you're familiar with this chapter, this is a like very common uh, chapter. If you guys heard of like abiding, right? That's a pretty familiar word. Now in the NIV, it is, um, it's translated remaining, which is very, it's the same thing, okay? So we're going to work through this and we're going to see these, these five L's. Jesus says this, remain, this is important, remain in me, not with me, not close to me. What does he say? Remain inside of me. Like if here is Jesus, this is where he's at. He's saying, stay in here. It's a picture of union. When we talk about baptism, it's being united like in marriage, being united with Jesus. Remain in me. As I also remain in you. Jesus takes this language of what this relationship is like, and this blows my mind. I mean, honestly, when I sit and I just meditate on this thought, I think we could just land here all night. Because Jesus is trying to describe the relationship that he's going to have with you and perfect love. And he goes, and here's how close we're going to be. And he goes, uh, it's like a bride and a groom. It's like a bride and a groom. Do you know any closer relationship on earth, earthly speaking, than a bride and a groom? That's like the closest. And he says, it's like a, a father and a child. This relationship we get with God is like a father and a child. It's like a husband and a wife. These are the closest relationships that we can ever imagine on earth. And then he takes it to another level that I don't think we can even understand. He goes, but it's even closer than that. It's closer than a father and a child. And it's closer than a husband and a wife. It's actually, I am inside of you. I'm in you. You are in me. He says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Remember I told you, his desire for your life if you give up what you've been seeking and you take what he is giving, his goal and what he has promised to do with your life is to bear beautiful fruit. And you can't do it if you're not inside of him. You can't do it if he's not in you. Go to the next verse. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, I don't necessarily think this is a reference to hell. I think he's communicating with them. Hey, you know how we prune trees. And the useless stuff, the stuff that's not bearing fruits, you know what you guys do? You cut them off, you 
bundle them up and you throw them in the trash. And he says, that's what it's like if you're not in me. If you remain in me, and now he says something different, and my words, how do we follow Jesus? His words, his teaching, the things that he is both saying to me today through his word and the things that my Sunday school teacher has hidden on my heart. If you remain in me and my words and teaching remain in you, then this is like too good to be true, I feel like. Then ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Remain in me, I in you. Let my words, my teachings remain in you. And guess what? Like a, like a kid that asks his dad for a good gift, ask, and I'll give it to you. This is to my Father's glory. God will be most glorified when? That you bear fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Who are the disciples but those that are bearing the fruit? Love, joy, love, joy, peace, shalom. Love, joy, peace, patience with one another, kindness towards one another, self-control. When the world interacts with the disciples of Jesus and God is inside of them, God's character is like fruit being produced on that tree we begin to look, somebody prayed in the prayer space, conform us to your image, Lord. We begin to, with Jesus in us, get changed. What do we look like? We begin to look like the character of God. I don't imagine it can get better, but it do. As the Father has loved me. This is Jesus speaking. Now, I'm thinking if we could go back into eternity and just kind of watch the Father and the Son, the Holy Trinity, interact way back then, we would see a pretty fierce and intense, pure love. Would you agree? If we could go back for all eternity and watch them love each other, it'd be the most beautiful thing I think I could ever watch. And he says, in the same way, just as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. If that does not blow our mind, like, does the Father love Jesus more than Jesus loves me? Yes. That's not what it says. The Father loves Jesus perfectly. Does Jesus love me that much? There is no way. There's no way. That's what it says. The quality and the quantity and the purity of that love that they've shared for eternity is how Jesus has set his love, that kind of love, on me. 
and you want me to give up my reputation for that? No thanks. I'll take my reputation. You, give, you want me to give up my wealth for that? No thanks. I'll take my wealth. Jesus is saying, this is a no-brainer. Because what Jesus is experiencing when he's calling us to give up our old lives and to take on this new, Jesus is experiencing that love inside of him and it makes him so right. And he watches us try and find that rightness in each other's relationships, in our wealth and in our career. And he says, no, me inside of you, you inside of me, us living together, I will be your Lord I'm not just going to be a Lord, but I'm going to lead you in the right way. And this is always going to be motivated out of love. And I will get the most glory when you are the most beautiful human being. When you're bearing the fruit of looking like the Father, compassion and love and mercy and forgiveness and wisdom and knowledge, all of it's coming through. And my Father will be glorified. This is what I'm offering you. Now give up the slobbery doggy toy life that you have and take the kingdom of God. Take me. And then he says, now I want you to remain in my love. How do I remain in your love? Keep my commands. You'll remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and I remain in his love, that's what I want you to do. See, this thing that's existed for all eternity, this love is like this. He loves me so perfectly. Jesus says of the father, it's such a pure love. I love it and I'm going to obey him because I love him. And now the same thing, in the same way, I'm going to love you and you obey me. This is what we do. This is our family. This is how we work. This is how it functions. We get loved perfectly and we obey. Now, what does he stop loving us if we stop obeying his commandments? I don't think that's what it's saying. I think it's saying, like, here's my love. It's like a faucet. It's like a, wa- it's like a waterfall. It's always going. In fact, it says his, stead- his steadfast love, that's never-changing love, endures forever. It never ends. It's constantly going like a waterfall. But I can choose to step out of it. I can choose to disobey God and go, I don't want that love. I want the doggy toy. I want my autonomy back. I want that old life back. And his love is there. It's constant. It's steadfast. And he's saying, remain in it. And this is what it looks like to remain in it. Just obey what I'm telling you. I'm leading you and guiding you in love. It's for your best interest. Interest. It's so that you can be fruitful. It's going to bring glory. It's glorious. Stay in this love. Obey my Father's commands in the same way that I've obeyed my Father's commands. And then he says this. I've told you this so that my joy, this rightness that I feel, my joy, being perfectly loved with the Father, me and him and, and him and me, may be where? In you. And your joy would be complete. Now, the, uh, another translation is to say overflowing, is to say, like, whatever my capacity for joy, that rightness that I have, 
is actually filled to the top and spilling over. You just got to give up your life. Compared to everything else, I'm number one. Just set your devotion towards me. I'm going to fill you with joy and love, and that love is going to spill over to your wife. That love is going to spill over to your roommate, to your teacher, to your enemy. My command is this. What is he asking us to do? After all of this, he says, what? Obey my commands and you'll, you'll be in the waterfall. Okay, what commands are we talking about? This is how he finishes. Love each other. Now, our culture tells us what love is like. And this is a correction. Not that love. Our culture says, if you want to love me and be, be a good friend, then whatever I make decisions, you support me. Like, cheer me on in my personal autonomy. Whatever I decide to do with my life, if you want to love me, support me. That is not Jesus' love. Jesus' love is to lay down your life for your friend. Jesus went to the cross for us, and now he goes, what does it look like for this to overflow into everyone around you? You lay down your preferences, your desires, your need for vengeance, your whatever, your reputation. Lay it down on behalf of the others. So we're going to skip out of the rest of, that's, that's good for, for John 15. When the rich young ruler walks away and he misses out on all of this, Jesus is sad. It says because he loved him. And then the disciples are going, dude, that guy was this guy. He was obeying all the commands. He had all the money. He had all the status. And he's out. Who in the world can be in? That guy had it all. Then he says, it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than a rich person to get into the kingdom of God. Okay, now, I was thinking, like, man, a camel going into, like, this little needle spot, you know, like, little thread and needle. And then when I went to Israel, there were these doors. There was, like, the wall, and there's this gate. And then next to it is, like, this little sliver that only, like, a human could squeeze through. And he's like, okay, so this is the lion's gate, this is the lion's gate, and or no, I forget what he said, but, you know, there's like Stephen's gate, there's all these gates, and he's like, and that's the eye of the needle. And then he just kind of kept on going, and I was like, hold up, time out, what's the eye of the needle? And he said, oh, when the gate's closed, they don't want animals to come through, but humans can, so humans can get in, but animals get kept out. Your camel can't come with you. And he's saying like, it's hard, it's as hard for that camel to get through that little crack into the kingdom as it is for a rich person. It's as hard for a rich person as a camel. You get what I'm saying. Why? And they said, okay, well, we've given up everything for you. I can imagine Peter saying this. 
All right, homeboy. Do you guys say homeboy anymore? No? Okay. <laughs> homeboy. <laughs> walked away from Jesus because he didn't want to give it up. When you told us to give it up, we gave it up. We gave up our whole lives for you, Jesus. Are we in? And he said, let me just assure you of this, that whatever, he says in Matthew 19, whatever you gave up, whatever you could possibly give up, you will get back a hundredfold and eternal life. Don't be proud of yourself because you sacrificed for God. Look at me. I tithe at the church and I take this money and I give it away, and I meet that need, and I'm like, look at me. He goes, no, no, no. Like, you're like, you're going to get back. This is an investment. If somebody, if you sit, sit down with a like, financial planner, some of you have already, but they're going to be like, we're going to try and get you into an investment where you can make 7%. That would be amazing. 6% is good. 5% is what we're shooting for. Okay, that's kind of what they say. Jesus said, it is a 1,000% return again to jesus this is a no-brainer what i'm offering you is way better than anything you could ever give up here's the good news turn to um do you have he, do you have the hebrews verse did i give that to you in hebrews it says for the joy set before jesus he endured the cross. I am God. Jesus is willing to give up all of his life. All of the privilege of being God, the divine privileges. And he gives it up to become a man, to become a servant, to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He gives it all up. Why? For the joy that was in front of him. He's asking us to give up our lives for the joy that he's offering, and he gave up his life for the joy of bringing you to his father. Of that moment at the end of the Bible where he says, I made all things new, the dwelling place of God is with man, I will be your God, you will be my people, and we will live forever. That joy motivated him to give up his entire life to the point of death on a cross. And now he says, now are you willing, are you willing to pick up your cross for the joy set before you? Guess what? You can't follow me unless you give up that life. This is not Jesus telling us to do something that he hasn't done he has done that for us. And guess what? In John 15, he says, what I'm asking you to do, you cannot do. You can do nothing without him. And so the very strength that's going to be required for us to do this kind of life, he says, don't worry. Remain in my love, and I got you. Remain in my love. Just be loved by me. And I will produce the fruit. I will give you the strength. I will take over. I will guide you. I will be your Lord. A man was seen getting rid of everything that he owned. And everybody thought he was a fool. Until he bought the field 
and he showed up with all the treasure. And then everybody was like, he's a genius. He's no fool. You might look like a fool for selling possessions, for giving your, your money, for giving up your autonomy. And your friends might be like, dude, you are missing out. Why would you give up this life? And someday when they see the fruitfulness of this community and of your life, Chris is a genius. And I'd say, you're not. It's kind of a no-brainer. I'm just going to end with a prayer for you guys. And this is a prayer from the, uh, the Apostle Paul. You guys know John 3.16? Like, that's an easy thing. Like, oh, John 3.16, that's a place I should know. Ephesians 3.16, you should know it. Okay? Ephesians 3.16, and I'm going to keep on reading past it. It says this. This is my prayer for you. You guys can bow your heads. We're going to pray. I pray out of his glorious riches, out of God's wealth, that he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being. And with this power, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ may dwell inside of you. And I pray that being so rooted and established in love, I pray that your lives' roots would be soaked in love. You may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp just how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, the same love that the Father had with the Son, I pray that God would give you strength to understand how big that love is. And if the, the roots of your soul will go into that love, you will be fruitful. This is knowing this love that surpasses knowledge. We can't even understand it. And then we will be filled. We will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You will be the most beautiful human beings because you will be full of God. Now to him, Jesus Christ, who's able to do immeasurably more than we can ever imagine according to his power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.